0: hi guys welcome back to the david cotter experience this is podcast episode seven i've harvey rail with me the episode is called road to Rocket man um we talk a bit about space but mostly we talk we start off um going through from harvey in secondary school to his college life in in university of limerick and onto his master's degree in astronautics and space engineering so in the midst of all that we kind of get talking about interplanetary trajectories low trust fuels catching asteroids and missions to jupiter jupiter's moons um all very complicated stuff um that i didn't really understand but thanks to harvey um bit more digestible now. um also harvey gives his pennies worth on space race 2.0 and just to say side note um thanks again to harvey for um reaching out it was really really um I really enjoyed um, sitting down and talking with him. And I hope everyone enjoys uh, Episode 7 as much as I did. Uh, without further ado, Episode 7. It's in uh, Base here. The eagle has landed. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
1: Maradona just walked
0: away from Motherland. Maradona, Maradona! With the age of 20, I went to London and I won the Mr. Universe contest as the youngest Mr. Universe ever. And it was because I had a goal.
1: Let me tell you this. The older you do get, the more rules are going to try to get you to follow. (laughs) You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. You
0: know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going... To get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning actor Jim Carrey. 20, you got something going yet. 21, yeah, get it again. Come on, we want to see it. Good, 22, who's going to carry the boat? in the laws.
1: A man is supposed to take care of his family because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you.
0: This is the calm before the storm, before the surge. And when it comes, and it will
1: come, never will so many ask so much of so few. Harvey, how are you? Too bad, David. How are you?
0: Um, not too bad at all. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, and thanks for reaching out because to be honest, like I said in one of the well, a couple of the last podcasts, like half my battle is actually getting people to come on and you know, asking them for, and for you to reach out and um and you know, just put it out there that you'd be willing to come on. I was actually, you know, what I appreciate it. And then when you said what you kind of did or what, you know, what um you ended up doing in college and things like that i was very interested so i suppose how do you want to do you want to introduce like what you i suppose kind of said to me what you'd come on and talk about the yeah
1: yeah astronautics
0: and space engineering so do you do you want to just let people know what that is
1: yeah so um well first of all i want to say uh i reached out because i thought your podcast with deck in particular was uh was was really interesting um it was really good to to hear somebody from west cork kind of uh i don't know not be afraid to put themselves out there so uh I was kind of following your lead after I heard the podcast with Dickie. I I, I thought that was a phenomenal po- podcast to come out of West Cork. So, um, I said right, if he's if he's stuck for guests, I'll uh <laughs> I'll throw my name out there. He probably won't want to talk to me, but sure, look if he's ever stuck, I'd fill in a gap for an hour or two in a, Um, so yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so yeah, so I'm Harvey. I'm from League. I went to school with you yourself and your brother. I um, went on to do a bit of college in aeronautical engineering in in UL, and uh, then I I got lucky enough to to do a masters in astronautics and space engineering, which is um it's essentially uh, a masters. It's a very general masters. There's, it it sounds very niche and specialised, and I suppose in a way it is specialised in space, but within the space domain, it's a masters that is um that allows you to kind of even pick within the space domain. A number of different uh, branches you can go down so you know if you're interested in the actual physical workings of a spacecraft there's modules for that it was a very elective masters you know there's modules for that if you were interested in the thermal side and how to heat and cool a spacecraft there was modules for that and in my own kind of specialization i was interested in um orbital uh, trajectories and interplanetary trajectories so um, you could specialize in that and Um, A branch they call Astrodynamics which um, sounds a lot more fancy than it actually is you know.
0: I was just going to say it all sounds a bit elementary (laughs) to me Harvey too easy Um, which I suppose look I suppose for for everyone listening I'm going to bring you back to I suppose when you're kind of prepping yourself for your leaving cert um, you're 18 I suppose it's back in 2013 you're two years older than me you've (laughs) done done the leaving cert two years before me two
1: years ago now
0: (laughs) was this was um the core what aeronautical engineering, right in Limerick, yeah. Yeah, so
1: at seven for any were you
0: out there. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. That's the job. Were you w- this was your number one? Like this is what you're prepping for? Uh
1: yeah, so um I suppose uh, you, you must be kinda of thinking, Oh, how did uh this fellow go from planes to space or maybe it seems obvious to some
0: That's exactly what I was thinking.
1: Uh, yeah. So there isn't really uh, well, sure, you know yourself anyway. We we went to school and the recession had, had absolutely decimated our country. So kind of uh, when you were picking your college course, at least in my head anyway, I was like, right, you know, these notions of going away and um, doing stuff, it, they don't exist for me. I need to go away and I need to do a course that that gets me a job, you know, out after uh, after college. Um, and in Ireland, there isn't a huge amount of um, stuff like college courses you can do regarding space where you could be kind of fairly hopeful you'd have a job you'd kind of be stuck in academia so you could do astrophysics in trinity and ironically that was my second choice Mm -hmm. but um you know with something like that you need to get a phd to get employed you know you need a master's won't cut it and you know i just i knew i didn't have the stamina for a phd i wasn't going doing eight years more of school you know um plus you know costs in dublin trinity whatever you know um course, yeah. yeah and then even after those eight years it was like oh you're competing you know you're fighting tooth and nail in academia for a job and a position whatever and you know i just that wasn't an option a luxury i could afford really so i kind of was like right I have a big interest in space. This was in Leaving Cert. Like, I have a big interest in space. Believe it or not, it was Miss Ngunnavon's uh, Leaving Cert physics that uh, that really, yeah, that, that really, that really yeah, that really interests me in it. Um, there's a specific question on a Leaving Cert um, paper that's usually about, like, mechanics and mechanics of space. And I just, I loved them. And I just thought they were so cool. Um, so yeah so I was just kind of right okay I can't do anything with space in Ireland I don't really want to go to England because you know money was an issue like and um so I was like right well what's the next best thing you know what's the nearest I can get that will be you know intensive in my physics knowledge so something that I will enjoy but also something I can kind of you know reason, reasonably expect to get a job afterwards so um, I looked down and aeronautical engineering was kind of lucky enough it was high enough up on the CAO list anyway that you know AE it's up at the top there so I was able to I said, I saw it and I was like yeah okay that's the one for me and I I hummed and hawed about it for ages because um, I was I was never great with my hands and you know you hear engineering you're thinking right I'm going to be fiddling with nuts and bolts and um I was I was very nervous about that because, geez, it takes me about an hour to screw in a light bulb, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um but then you give me a big long, big long maths maths equation, I'll have that done for you in a couple of minutes, like, you know. Yeah. So um I was kind of humming and hawing and I was asking our guidance counsellor about it over and over. I'd say I must have annoyed her with the questions I had about it. Um, and eventually she got on to somebody that she knew who had done it and was able to reassure me that it was going to be quite theoretical. And I was like, right, bingo. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll do. Um, so, yeah, so got the points for it. Thank, thank God. And, and and off I went to, to college, to Limerick.
0: Um, and then just so you mentioned physics there a couple of minutes ago. So yeah. like was the, in school, obviously you you were saying there your first thought was I like space and I like the that sort yeah. of side of it. So like the aeronautical engineering was kind of secondary, I suppose. But did you have like um you know were you watching documentaries and you were fucking like you know looking at the likes of these guys like Brian Green and Neil deGrasse Tyson and all yeah, you yeah. know, Cox and all these guys yeah, and you're like yeah, whoa these guys yeah. are kind of inspiring me to want to <laughs> do something in it like for want of a more cliche kind of a- yeah I
1: know it is pretty cliche. So I got I got lucky enough that my mother was a bit of a nerd um uh, growing up and uh, she kind of carried on that that nerdiness so she was big into her kind of space stuff and you know time and and uh you know black holes so you know if there was ever you know if there was ever a chance where you know Stephen Hawking was on a show doing a documentary about his paper or about black holes or something something that was accessible you know to the masses then she'd have it on or she'd have it recorded or she loves Brian Cox as well, she won't mind me saying. So if Brian Cox, and do you remember his show with um with Darryl Breen? Then they used to do the old stargazing at night. Yeah, 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 yeah I do, yeah. Had that on any time it was on. It was like, you know, if I was sitting there going, Right, lads, I have a rugby match on, on TV here. You can't disturb me for a couple of hours. She'd be the same with that show. She'd be like, right, this is on at 7 o'clock. Don't talk to me between 6 and 8, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, invariably you'd kind of sit down and you'd watch and then, you know, you'd be kind of Brian Cox is, yeah, he's, he, he's a mastermind, he's one of those lads who's insanely smart and he's able to communicate it to the masses and I just remember watching him going wow, he makes this stuff, stuff sound so cool, not super nerdy even though, it probably was, and um, yeah, I just I took an insane interest to that so, it was always kind of playing in the background Um, And then when I got a chance to do kind of physics, I was always interested in physics growing up. So when I got a chance to do it, I jumped at the chance, you know.
0: Yeah, I think I think physics is one of them things that, you know, it's so interesting, especially when you get to the space element of things like, you know, because it's so beyond our scope of what we can think about. And you hear you're hearing numbers and distances and, you know, so beyond what we can actually comprehend. But like to actually, you know, want to actually go and kind of, I'm not going to say conquer it, but, you know, go after it and want to pursue it as a career. Yeah. Or, you know, I know you ended up in aeronautics, but like to even have that thought, I, you know, I think that's fairly courageous. Like a lot of us, you know, we all have this kind of, you know, I often think about it. I'm like, Jesus, you know, i fucking love to learn about, yeah. I'd love to learn about space. You so know, that kind of a, we yeah. all have an interest in it, but it's just too scary for most of us to, yeah. to go after, like, you know, and I feel if it was less scary, there'd be a lot more people trying to go, go into it you know
1: yeah there's there yeah there's so there is there is actually right now even in the industry there is a huge um issue like you have actually people getting they're so they're employed solely to basically be outreach you know um i suppose outreach offices essentially trying to make space more accessible because right now the public perception of space is you know, real high tech, real number crunching, heavy, heavy stuff, you know. And it doesn't need to be, you know, it really, really doesn't need to be. There's room for for everyone in there. There's room for guys who just want to sit at computers coding all day. There's room for guys who just want to hammer away with a spanner and, and a hammer. Like, you know, um, there's room for everybody in that industry. But I think the public perception is half the battle where people just look at the space industry and they think back to, you know, the... the the achievements in the 60s and think wow like they're on the cutting edge of technology there's no way i'm smart enough for that and it's it's the opposite like it's it really is like it's just it's just all it takes is an interest and a little know-how and then it's 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 piece of cake like you know yeah
0: I, I remember actually i think the thing that i kind like now i'm just i'd listen to podcasts with brian cox and you know all these guys and i've listened oh, to I him. yeah
1: i love him on podcast man brian cox is great on podcast
0: he's brilliant and he does that kind of um show with the mother like couple of people around the table and they just talk about the most abstract things and it's yeah you know after a while like, i don't think i'm even listening to what they're saying it's just like <laughs> it's it's almost like a, a talk down you know a headspace app or something
1: like that yeah it's uh, just, yeah.
0: I don't know, it's 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 a different language and it's almost, you know, the way they say that French is very sexy language. Like when you're listening when you're listening to Space Talk, I find that it's very kind of, you know, intriguing without knowing what's going on. Yeah. for
1: me anyway, like You're making I, the moves on me here, David, are you? Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> Jesus, that's it. That's why I went to the face call, Harvey. <laughs> um but anyway, what I was um what was I gonna say there was um the I think for me anyway, like what made it a small bit more accessible and understandable was, you know, the 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 show Neil deGrasse Tyson did with Cosmos. I oh, thought that yeah. was yeah. very well done, you know, and really simplified everything and made it kind of I suppose a small bit comical, you know, like with the 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 kind of animations and stuff like that, you know. But I thought it was kind of exactly what people needed to digest a subject like that.
1: Yeah, you're bang on the point there. So Neil deGrasse is great is great for that sort of stuff. As is Cox. Like you're bang on the point. That's what you need to do. You need to be able to break it down into um, stuff that that people are used to seeing, you know, and and not overcomplicate things. And once you kind of and the thing is, it can be broken into that. Like it it is, it can be that simple. Um, just yeah, there just is a real um i suppose your analogy to french language it there's a real language barrier there you, at the moment you just have a bunch of scientists trying to talk about it and of course they're going to use their own language you know they're going to use the jargon and the numbers and the terminology and to people who you know wouldn't be familiar with that sort of stuff it just it might as well be greek to them and they're thinking right i I have no hope here whereas like you know people like neil deGrasse tyson you know breaking it down using very simple language and it can be explained in simple language then you know it it that's what you need you know that's and that's all that that's all it is really like you know yeah yeah yeah
0: so i suppose um
1: a bit of crack like at the end of the day you know
0: <laughs> that's it yeah yeah but I, I find out with everything though you know once it, you know i think there's you know that expression if you can teach it to a five-year-old it means you can really understand it yourself. no exactly. five-year-old is probably a long stretch but you know if you can teach that it it's kind of elemental level like yeah. you know you yeah. really got a grasp of something yourself
1: Feynman so said that man you're quoting a great man there who said that Richard Feynman. Did he? Yeah, that's that was his whole uh and it's a principle I I stand by. It's a principle I try to live by, you know, if you um if you if you really think you know something, try and break it down as simple as can. If you can't teach an elementary ca- class on it, you don't know it like you don't know yeah, it as well yeah, as you think yeah. you do, you know. Yeah, that's
0: for sure. But um so I suppose look we'll take it back to to college again. Um Yeah. You were so you're in you're in Limerick and you're doing your aeronautical engineering. Yep. Are you looking beyond this when you're there or are you kind of thinking, OK, I'm just going to try and, you know, nail this down and I'll do something in aviation rather than space at the moment? Like, or were you kind of always, OK, I have my eye on what I'm going to do after?
1: Um, I suppose a bit of both. Like, so um, I was aware when I went into the course in first year that the um requirements to get, say, a chartership in engineering, which is like the kind of goal for anybody who's an engineer, um, required, uh, from, from 2013 onwards required you to do a master's. So I knew from the get go, I was going to do a master's. Now I didn't know in what, and then it was kind of, then the mix came where like, once you kind of get into the ticket of the course, you're not really thinking beyond what you got to do for the next day. You know, you're not really thinking beyond the exams because the course is pretty difficult, you know? Um, and then I got I got real, but like, so say in your downtime, I was still kind of finding myself looking at space videos on YouTube and watching space documentaries and thinking about space and stuff, you know, um, and uh, I got the opportunity, luckily enough, uh, while I was in college to go to the States on an exchange program, and um, the college that I went to in the States offered me Like, well, offered the chance to study space-related modules where Limerick didn't, um, and I was, I was like, wow. So that was kind of almost like a a reawakening. Like, you know, it was always there, dormant in the background, but then to have it kind of really mixed in with my professional slash academic life, that was like a reawakening, a relighting of the fire, you know. And I was like, right, okay, I have a chance here. Then not a lot of people get, you know, let's have at it why not like you know i mean i've nothing to lose Like you know i'm already over in the states what else have i got to lose like you know yeah. um so i jumped at it and studying it studying that sort of stuff made me you know kind of almost refall in love with it even though i never really fell out of love with it if you know what i mean yeah but yeah. like re-fall in love with the idea of doing it in a professional setting or an academic setting so yeah so then i finished the um exchange program and that was in third year and so then it comes back to fourth year and you're you're in your final year and you're thinking right okay hold on so a second
0: what... there um harvey yeah i don't know is it the connection on my side or your side is just hopping a small bit you talk there again just for two seconds
1: yeah no better. um can you hear me okay
0: yeah there's just something it's like um it almost sounds like a kind of a, a small thing like that you're not putting your hand on a lead or something
1: no, I don't think so. I can turn off the headphones though and just go through the computer speaker if that's easier um, for you.
0: I'm not sure what the actual issue is itself. Like, um, we'll and keep going. We'll keep going a while, and I'll stop you there again if I can hear it because it, it it seems to come and go. Come go. Like yeah. What come and go? Yeah.
1: What I'll do here is I'll just make sure all the Wi-Fi stuff is uh is disconnected, and it, uh, could, it
0: could be my side of things as well here, lad. Um. Look, we'll keep going a while anyway, and we'll see what the crack is.
1: If it gets very bad, let me know, and I'll I'll try switching off these, and uh, we'll um, we'll no go hassle. from there. Yeah. Do you have
0: uh, you have headphones like these that you plug in? No.
1: My my headphone jack is uh, busted. My laptop oh. is older than some babies these days. So.
0: Oh, geez, mine is the same, lads. To be fair. <laughs> so uh, um, right, we'll carry away on anyway for a while.
1: Perfect. Um. So yeah. So. Um, came back from America at the at the end of third year and so you get into fourth year and, and you start thinking right as well as the workload of fourth year i need to be thinking about what i want to do afterwards do i want to do masters or Do I want to go straight into into a job and i knew i stuck to my plan as like, i'm going to do a masters but uh, fourth year was the most hectic year of my life we had like a thesis we had to build um, a, a remote control plane and then I had to be looking for we had exams and then I had to be looking for um, you know a master's program and <clears throat> the thing with the thing with all that stuff it all comes at you at once in October like so oh like submission deadline for submission for next year's master's programs finish at the end of October um graduate program admissions finish at the end of October as well as like the onslaught of brand new topics and the work that you have to do that you've not seen before you know
0: yeah of course
1: He's, uh... so I just said right I'm gonna eliminate I'm gonna make my life a bit easier get rid of the decision fatigue and just decide right I'm not going looking for a job I'm doing a master's because otherwise you just have a million possibilities and you get almost tired from thinking about all those as well as doing your work, you know? So, um, fortunately again, again, my life just kind of happened to line up this way fairly luckily, like, but, um, fortunately my college had a kind of, uh, an academic longstanding agreement where we share a couple of lecturers with a with a a masters only college in England, and they share a couple of lectures with us, um, and we share students and we share experiments and things like that. Um, and that college is called Cranfield College, and they're they're a former RAF base, and they're well regarded in England. So they're mass they're postgraduate only. You can do PhDs there, um, and you kind of you go there if you re- if you're really serious about your aviation career. Um, and so I was like, well, okay, I have kind of the inside track here with, with, with UL's um ties with them. So i looked look to their um programs first and see what they have to offer. And I went onto their page and the first thing I saw was Astronautics and Space Engineering came up there first. And I was like it was again, it was like a light bulb. It was like, Oh no, I couldn't, could I? <laughs> you yeah. know? Could I could I do it? So I emailed they gave the email of the course director. So I um I emailed her and I said, "Look, um, I haven't got any sort of background in space at all. I've done aeronautics for the last four years, um, and it's and our school system is different to the UK school system. I wouldn't have had any experience in secondary school either, really. Um, you know, what are my odds of getting in here? Can I still apply? What are my odds? Is it a waste of time if I apply?" And she turned back and she goes, "No, no, no. So um, we kind of do a first semester of bringing everybody." Up to up to scratch, um, and uh, we get you know we get applicants from you know all sorts of backgrounds, people who don't have any engineering background, people who are you know they're pure mathematicians who don't understand the application of numbers, you know. then you get she was like you know we've got physicists who only know the physics side and don't know the engineering side, you know. Um, and she goes we even have like civil engineers um, apply and they've gotten through, so you should be absolutely fine. And I was like, oh, no way. This is just too good to be true. Like, I was like a kid at a candy store. I was like, no way. So I dropped in the application and uh, away we went. Got accepted and away we went.
0: Jesus, happy days. Fucking hell. So you were, where? like, I can't imagine that there's many undergrad degrees anywhere, like, for, like, space or, sorry, astronautics and space engineering really is there. So you probably would have been fine anyway, like, I suppose that was just you doubting yourself a bit, was it?
1: Yeah, it was probably a definitely an element of that. Um, because in you know the UK they're a bit bigger than us, they kinda of have a bit more of an uh, uh an option in terms of what you do in your undergrad. There are a couple of colleges in the UK that offer space focused um under undergrads, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I was just I was quaking quick quaking quick in my boots and you know, too 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 proud to admit it, like you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. I think we've all had our fair share of that. Um from time to time like but um so you went down anyway um and of course you obviously really liked it but you did a thesis you did your master's thesis on something very interesting so i'm going to let you explain it. i'm not even going to try right. but i want to try and listen and hear okay. what it's about
1: um okay so my thesis was on designing low thrust interplanetary trajectories um so essentially um you have two types of Uh, well, technically three types of thrust that can be used in a spacecraft. And they're just kind of, you know, they're classified fairly vaguely. There's high thrust, medium thrust and low thrust. And, you know, there's arguments to be made. Medium thrust and low thrust are essentially the same. but You know, I won't get into it here. Um, And essentially all that, all they do, all that boils down to is the shape trajectories can, can take when you're going from point A to point B. So in space, You don't travel in a straight line Mm -hmm. it might look like you're traveling in a straight line but that's just because of relative stuff you know in space everything travels in like ellipses or circles or spirals because you're always orbiting something you know so if you see something going in a in a straight line you're asking okay what what frame of reference are we talking about here you know um so a, a high thrust so the easiest way to travel but the most fuel expensive is high thrust so essentially that that is what high thrust does is it just basically makes a massive ellipse from point a to point b and somewhere along that ellipse you intersect with your target's orbit okay um and it's the most straightforward mathematically speaking um trajectory to plot so if you're a a mission designer you're kind of hoping that people are okay with you assuming high-thrust conditions because you're sitting there going, yeah, this, uh, there are equations for this. I don't need to run this massive computer program, take up all these computing you know, power. I don't have to like utilize my brain too much. You know, not saying that they don't, but you know, there's defined laws of nature that you follow when you're taking a high-thrust trajectory. The downside to that is, Um, high-thrust fuels are very weight-expensive, and to get something that's weight-expensive off the Earth is is really, really difficult, you know. Um, If you wanted to lift, uh, I'll give you an example, if you wanted to lift this coffee mug, you would need four equivalent of four litres of water to get this to orbit. But then, of course, you think about it, you know, the water has to be contained in a structure. So when one litre of water is gone, that that structure is empty but it's still weighing you down. You know? Mm-hmm. So then you need then you need more litres of water to carry your four liters of water plus your coffee cup. And then to carry those extra, you just see how it keeps going. Yeah and going it's and going, piling you
0: know? up and piling yeah. up. Yeah.
1: So there's obviously an optimal point to be to be reached. And yeah the optimal point I think where there are best capabilities at the moment is like eighteen tons to orbit, you know? Something like that. Um so that then gives you that gives you a limit on how much fuel you can take and it also gives you a limit on the size of spacecraft you can send up um so obviously if you're wanting to plan this science heavy loads of instruments you know uh, mission to jupiter which is billions of kilometers away you, you first you your first thing anyway is you have to think of your fuel how am i getting there and if you want to go high thrust you need loads of fuel which then you know cuts down on the amount of science you can bring you know so then you know eventually eventually you get to a point where you're just essentially a flying fuel ship you know you don't have any instruments on board and the mission is just a waste of money waste of time because you can't take any measurements of, of, of reason so that's the traditional fuel type that they use and uh, as you can imagine the further out you go you know the less the more complex the journey gets because if you're taking high fuel, you have to swing around planets, you have to do gravity slingshots, all that kind of crap, and it's just a pain in the ass. Um <laughs> so if
0: you, just I'm just thinking there now, so do you only do you only use your like, you know, I'm I'm thinking of a rocket ship now and I'm just yeah, yeah. flames coming out the back like and that's it yeah. using fuel. Like yeah. so when you get to space do you stop using the fuel? Yeah, so you'll have like... And you just kind of go off orbiting other things, like we'll say, like, or...
1: So so if you think of the main body of a rocket, and then usually they come with boosters around the side. You know, Mm -hmm. the small little rockets that drop off, like like Elon Musk's SpaceX thing that can return to Earth. So they're like boosters. So they're the kind of stuff that gets you to orbit. And then you detach them off the main body. The main body is what you kind of use. Sometimes they like to separate it. A lot of the time they like to separate it. But essentially most of that main body, the central body of the rocket, goes into orbit. And that's what's used. There's fuel in there when you're in orbit. And you fire, you know, you fire your fuel at certain points of your journey to give you that boost. Because if you put something in orbit around Earth, it'll stay, depending on the orbit it's in, it'll stay in orbit around Earth for 30 odd years it'll be stable some of them okay. there's there's graveyard orbits where some some of them will stay in orbit for hundreds of thousands of years and never ever go anywhere you know mm-hmm. so to get yourself out of that situation you need to give yourself a force you know okay, so you need yeah. to burn something and make you make you go out of orbit escape orbit you know and yeah. then you're once you're out of earth's orbit then you're into the sun's uh, gravity gravity well and so then you're out of Earth's orbit and now your your gra- primary trajectory and primary orbit is determined by the sun and so then you can use that because everything in the solar system you know uh, revolves around the sun mm-hmm. right and so then as the planets kind of uh, come close to Earth and whatnot, you can use them so you burn ever so slightly from Earth you can use them to shoot you off near a planet and then you you enter its gravity well. And then its gravity well, depending on your speed and your angle, will essentially just drag you in and spit you out the other side. Okay. But you're always you always need fuel in and in, in space. You always need fuel. It's the one big constraint that uh that that we have in terms of um planning planning to get off the planet, planning trajectories is just how much fuel can we bring versus how much, you know, onboard life systems do we have enough weight for? It's always a weight problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so you can see. Hello, Harvey? I think my headphones disconnected there.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just saying I couldn't hear the sound.
1: <laughs> yeah. So no, my headphones disconnected reconnected again though. No. Um, so as you can see, as I've tried to elaborate there, um, there's a lot of problems with with high thrust you know heavy fuels um it kind of limits how far you can go it limits what you can bring because they themselves are heavy um but they're time efficient and they're easy to calculate that's that's their big ones they're time efficient and they're easy to aim and they're easy to you know make sure that you arrive where you need to arrive so then the other classification of fuels is low thrust fuels now these are great, they're super efficient on fuels. You know, you can get w- way further with them over, over high-thrust fuels. Um, and you don't need to bring half as much. In some cases, you don't even need to bring 30% as much uh, fuel to reach your, your target destination, which of course is great because that means you can bring more crap with you, more science mm-hmm. um, instruments, rovers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the problem with them is they're mathematically hard to define in terms of planning your trajectory to go from point A to B. And they take forever because they're low thrust. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking millinewtons of thrust would be would be the ideal for a low thrust. Whereas you're talking kilonewtons, you know, you're talking thousands of newtons for high are, thrust.
0: Are these fuels, are they um, like we'll say, are they similar to your regular, you know, airplane fuel or are they just a complete different animal altogether? Like or
1: um uh, so airplane i think they use uh oh, geez i should know this um they kind of tend to use the the oil-based fuel fuels mm-hmm. you
0: know yeah petrochemical whereas, is it
1: petrochemicals yeah whereas um uh say in the case of high thrust fuels they'll use liquid uh, liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen okay um so with the temperatures in space, they're easier to store, and then you just basically mix them and ignite them, and off you go. And they gotcha. so there's flow. not
0: really much similar similarities between yeah. them. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. But and then low thrust. How low thrust fuels work is usually some sort of uh, a perfect gas, or some sort of storage of of hydrogen being heat, or storage of water, sorry, being heated um by uh, electricity, and then. Basically, basically being pressurized and blown out the back as a gas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the, of course, the electricity is being provided by the sun, which is which rays are which its rays are unfiltered out in space. So you basically get like you know, it's not like solar power on the earth. You get like a hundred percent of efficiency and use and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, medium thrust is like nuclear-powered stuff. So you have like a, a nuclear core. Um, Basically, doing what it does in a, in a fission plant, and then the the water the water vapor is getting shot out the back instead of wherever else it goes in a in a nuclear fission plant. Okay. They call that medium thrust, but it's you know it's low thrust because it takes a it takes similar enough times to low thrust engines. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So the I, thesis. Sorry, I'm taking a. Yeah. Off. No. 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 <laughs>
0: this this is good. I suppose it's still all tied in. You know, you're just kind of piecing it together. So. Yeah. The low thrust fuels.
1: So the low-thrust fuels, yeah, they tend to be like, um, yeah, you tend to like ionize a gas um, and then basically fling it out the back of your spacecraft. Um, and they provide very, they provide constant go, but very little of it. Okay. So in, instead of like like the high-thrust, instead of blowing yourself out the orbit and just like, you know, basically going direct to your to your destination, The um imagine the low thrust lads as kind of just edging yourself ever so slightly but constantly through multiple orbits around the earth, you're you're getting ever further and further away, like a spiral. Gotcha,
0: yeah, okay you know,
1: you're spiraling out from the earth. Um and the thing with spirals is you can quantify them mathematically, but they are really difficult to do. And trying to guess how much fuel you need based off of that mathematical quant- quantification is quite difficult and then trying to make sure that you're you a spiral because if you're thinking about it you're talking about lots and lots of winds lots and lots of journey time so therefore lots and lots of chances for your spacecraft to deviate from a path that it should be on so it's difficult to aim and get it to a point where it should be intersection intersecting with mars in two years time and mm-hmm. on top of it all it takes forever like yanks like um so my thesis was essentially working on some like taking the work done by somebody else's phd um where he basically decided right up until now we've basically had computer programs draw loads of power to try and guess the journey a spacecraft is going to take before it flies it and then guess the, the the fuel from it and then basically keep guessing keep up keep refining its guess keep refining its guess until it meets meets some sort of criteria um and again they have no idea what what if that criteria is even right they're just basically going off of their knowledge and a and a, and a good idea um generally it's turned out to be okay but you know again it's just a lot of work to get there um he basically was like okay I've seen spirals quantified in maths before with an equation. So if I can just draw, it's like drawing shapes basically. If I can just draw a spiral that gets me from point A to B, and assume that the spacecraft can follow that spiral perfectly, well then, I because of that equation, with some m- manipulation of that maths, I'll be able to tell how much fuel it needs and how much um, how much thrust in its engine it needs, mm-hmm. which Really cut down the amount of hours needed to plan a trajectory, and really cut down the amount of computing power. Like for example, I was able to do it in my laptop, which is probably why it's half burnt out. But uh, <laughs> whereas, like you know, NASA were drawing on supercomputers to try and figure out these trajectories. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, yeah, it was it was groundbreaking work. And so I was.
0: And so like the, obviously these are these are kind of this is theoretical. Like he hasn't obviously you know.
1: Oh he he's, hasn't said he's not yet. actually testing yeah. this out
0: in a rocket ship like no, he, these no, are no. just like his assumptions that if he can get it to move yeah to point from point A to point B, he can guess or well he can give an accurate enough yeah. estimation of the fuel needed to get from point yeah. A to point B.
1: And he was he was lucky because there had been a couple of test um spacecraft flown with low thrust fuels to um say other points, other planets, and their because they had you know science on board or whatever their trajectory was basically sent back like the path we followed this is what the path was followed and so he basically went away and tried under the same conditions to basically draw a spiral between earth and mars or earth and wherever um that was uh close enough to that spacecraft's trajectory and so because of the data that that spacecraft had sent back, they knew its fuel cost. They knew its um, engine requirements. And he was like, right, okay, I'm not going to look at, I'm not going to look at what the answers are, basically. I'm going to do it with my method, and I'm going to see if I'm close. Mm -hmm. And he was close. And he did that with a bunch of of, uh, trajectories that spacecraft had flown with low-thrust technology on board. And he found he was within... Like ten percent of their actual fuel requirements every time, okay. and so you know, this is over in the, in the states. Their um, their qualifications or quantifications for, for for getting your PhD are really strict. So like, obviously, the people who were supervising him were very happy with what he's done, and it works out, you know, soundly. It's mathematically sound. Mm-hmm. So his 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 method was mathematically sound. Um, and basically, my thesis, because obviously I wasn't doing a PhD, I was only doing a master's, so my thesis was only being done over the summer. My my um, my thesis was basically to take the work he had done, and basically make an uh, uh, an application of it. So essentially, plan a mission from Earth to Mars, um, as if I was actually in NASA, say, and mm-hmm. use his method, and basically spit out credible re- results and and write it write a report on it
0: and how are you spitting out our re- credible results is that you just doing more um equations and things plugging yeah in stuff yeah with
1: equations so um the common so there's a, a a kind of coding language called matlab which is common okay. so an engineer, yeah I
0: actually, i've heard of that before
1: yeah and engineers listening yeah i know you're having nightmares about matlab <laughs> So am I. Um, So there, this is all done usually like the kind of academic standard coding language. It's like a big, yeah, it's just like a big calculator that's able to do real complex problems if you code it correctly. So I essentially wrote an algorithm on, um, on MATLAB uh, and essentially gave it uh, starting dates and finishing dates. So uh Earth and Mars are in uh are, are at reach their closest points together every 2 years. And so that was kind of my basis. I was like, right, so I'm going to st- I'm going to go once a month for every 2 years I'm going to request a launch date and depending on Earth and Mars's positions as they're simulated, I'm going to get my program to calculate a spiral trajectory um and then I'm going to cons- from Earth to Mars and then i'm going to constrain it so if you come too hot at a planet if you come too angled you're essentially just going to get sucked in by its gravity and spit out and if you come too shallow you're that's that's when you that's when you kind of get sucked into its gravity and you stay so i'm gonna i'm gonna constrain my entry points so that they're within a certain angle range and then i'm also going to constrain my fuel costs so that they're within you know you have an infinite number of possibilities when you're planning a trajectory, you can plan the most unrealistic ones that take a thousand kilos of fuel to go a centimeter if you want, you know, but of course that's not realistic. Nobody's ever going to do that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to constrain my, my fuel, my overall fuel costs of the journey to, um, to, to to something that's realistic. Um, and yeah, so essentially then I was able to spit out the program, spit out like graphs of fuel cost versus, um, trajectory time so you had the opportunity here to go all right if i want to go quicker well then i need to take that sacrifice in in fuel cost you Mm -hmm. know and if i don't mind taking two years to get to mars then you know my fuel cost is very low and i might have enough weight then for you know to be piggybacking a rover you know Mm -hmm. but it, it will take me two years to get there you know yeah are you
0: um are you able, from your equations, are you able to tell, you know, how much fuel you're using at certain points? You know, like how much fuel you're using to get out of Earth, we'll say, out of Earth's orbit. And then I don't know what your piggyback or what you're getting onto to get to Mars. But, you know, at certain points, you will need to fire up the engines and blast again. Do you know at certain points how much you're using?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was the whole, um, I suppose that was the whole Uh, point of the thesis was to make it as realistic as possible so you need to be getting diagnostic information back the whole time because you know if you have to make so a low thrust engine isn't able to make a sudden correction so if you have to suddenly change you know through an angle of 90 degrees on a low thrust engine good luck thanks for playing
0: because that's working on the gradual changes yeah okay good
1: luck and thanks for playing you don't have enough force you don't have enough fuel you Know, mission is done floundering there in the middle of yeah. space. <laughs> yeah, the mission is done. You're you're going wherever, wherever this is taking you, like you know. So, you kind of need uh, to...
0: fucking movie with Brad Pitt, um, at Astra. Oh, Astra, yeah,
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. You just be out in fucking
0: where is he, Neptune or somewhere, like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a movie, but um, good movie, all right, Chad. Good movie, yeah, um, but anyway,
0: yeah, so what, like did you what were your kind of like conclusions or results from that like did you get any concrete kind of answer or what what you wanted
1: yeah so I did yeah so um this is going to get a little bit technical but um traditionally mission planners have uh these plots of like uh mission time versus fuel fuel cost and in particular with high thrust missions they're called pork chop plots because they're contour plots that basically look like pork chops. We're not very imaginative in space, you know. Mm. Um, they look like pork chops. Contrary
0: to look... popular belief.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they look they look, uh, they look uh, like pork chops and um, they're like, you know, they're essentially the Bible for, for mission planners. And it was thought up until uh, your man's PhD thesis. And I would say, I would make the argument, my master's thesis that such a plot was impossible for um, low thrust fields. It was impossible to do something like that. Now I didn't manage to get it all in one plot, but I had it in two very handy, easy to use um, uh, plots, contour plots, where you could basically, you know, you you look, you scan down what, your first plot and you pick out a value, and then you plug that value into your second plot, and that that. Will give you your time and your uh, mission cost of the mission based on when you want to launch and when you want to. Or, well, no, that when you want to land is based on the time. So, based on when you want to launch, it'll give you the the fuel cost and the time it takes. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of like uh, something that, um, that 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 the industry didn't think was possible and it's not possible in the explicit sense but if you're willing to use two graphs instead of one it is possible you know
0: okay so y- your work was obviously good enough then did you got did did your master's thesis get published somewhere uh
1: no it didn't get published um there's quite a bit of hoop jumping to be done to get published but uh my my group project that i took undertook when i was at the masters which was on asteroid deflection that got published in a in a in a conference proceedings.
0: Okay, let's go to that. I like the sound <laughs> of asteroid deflection because I was actually reading because you know I I just get these little snip, snippets of little stories like and I was actually um what I always find interesting is you know. Well, it might be completely different now, but the, the use of like you know fucking nuclear bombs to like clear asteroids oh, yeah. out, out of the way, like you know in case they're coming for us, an Armageddon style thing. Yeah, know? yeah. Like isn't there that thing with? The, there was that. Um... Armageddon
1: is my my literal one of my favorite movies of all time. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're 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 in the we're in the right um genre. So but. <laughs> What was I going to say? The fucking, um, there was back in nineteen oh eight, wasn't there? Like an asteroid that passed so close to Earth that it knocked like eighty million trees in Siberia. I think was it from the Torrid Meteor Stream? Oh,
1: um, and it yeah. was in
0: Tunguska or some place like that in Russia.
1: Yeah, uh, Tunguska. Yeah, the yeah the Tungutska. I don't think it had passed close. I actually think it entered, and it was so big that it was um, it was able to get quite low before it exploded and when it when it did explode it blew you know it was like that a that sounds more yeah. familiar yeah. That yeah sounds more
0: familiar than yeah. what yeah. i
1: just said yeah, <laughs> yeah. i
0: knew <laughs> i knew it passed close or something you know like it burned off just before you know it was it would impact or something if it, like that.
1: if it hit the ground would have been a bit of trouble right like yeah so yeah fucking
0: hell like it cleared 80 million um 80 million trees in the siberian thing in the siberian yeah. forest and i think I was actually looking at it the other day because it was something that I I obviously remember. I don't know where I heard it now, but um, it was, it it knocked the trees in an area the size of, I think, was it. It actually, like when I heard it afterwards, I was like, it's actually not that big. It was only like Offaly or something like that. Some one of them kind of midland counties. I was like, fucking hell, that sounded a lot more impressive when it was 80 million trees. Like,
1: Yeah, but um, you got to remember, this is probably an object now that's, I don't know. Probably the size of your fridge, like, do you know what I mean? Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Fair yeah. yeah. You see, that, there's the perspective that I need to put back my box again.
1: <laughs> this is the problem with, with stuff. Um, the, the big panic with stuff, with entering our atmosphere from outer space is, like, so, you know, they're traveling at such speeds. You're talking about kilometers a second. You know, you go down a motorway at 120 kilometers an hour, mm-hmm. like, you're talking orbit speeds of, like, seven kilometers a second, you know? So stuff coming from outer space, outside of Earth's orbit, are traveling even faster again, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you're talking, you know, you don't need, at that sort of speed, with that sort of kinetic impact, you know, you have so much energy built up through your speed, you don't really need a massive object, you know. Going back to physics, a half mv squared, you know. Yeah, uh, okay. You, you, if your v is huge, because v it's v squared, if your v is huge, that's, you know, your mass can be, flipping fridge sides or sofa size and you're you're doing a huge amount of damage like
0: yeah i got you okay yeah fair enough is the, is that kind of uh, was i completely left the field when i brought that up with your asteroid deflection
1: <laughs> no actually no 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 so that's that that is genuinely the um the inspiration behind um kind of your your modern space agencies any missions that they that they kind of um give the go-ahead to um, regarding asteroid deflection or asteroid detection or any of that stuff, it's all done essentially out of fear, out of, of things like that, you know, because that, that historical event is like the big wake-up call where, you know, we came to realize that, you know, you essentially need what you'd consider a pebble in space rock terms. You know, it's a tiny yoke, but, mm-hmm. you know, it comes at you so quick, you know, that, you, you know, you don't you don't need a huge object to to do you loads of damage so it's 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 a thing where people are like wow okay so there are loads of these little pebbles floating around here and any one of them could really really mess us up all right we need to be getting on this sort of uh, deflection uh program mm-hmm. sort of thing you know
0: and so what were you actually doing in that were you trying to figure out some way that you could deflect them is so that like yeah using a bomb <laughs> or like am well, i just too pyroclastic here like with
1: my thinking, a pyromaniac so get the bombs
0: and put them in space
1: <laughs> armageddon didn't get a lot right but what they did get right is if you send a bomb up against something like that you're just going to have a very expensive fire or firework show okay all you all you're going to do is kind of shatter the outside and if it's particularly dense enough it'll just you know smile and keep coming mm. um and, and all you've done is create a number of little, you know, small bastards that now also want to get you. So not yeah, only are you... Which are probably not really small either. <laughs> yeah, so not only have you got a big boy coming towards you, you're, you've, you've opted to pepper yourself with small little boys that really fuck you up as well, like so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so our, our kind of project was to essentially mimic um, uh, uh, a mission call from ESA, the European Space Agency. Um, so essentially ESA have a bunch of rules. If you're proposing a mission to them, uh, you, they have a bunch of rules that you have to abide by. Um, and our project was to try and grab an asteroid and move it from its orbit. You know, where to, we decide, but basically grab an asteroid and show that we can move it from its, or, from its orbit. Um, and then obviously, you know, you could just, write down you know super super high-tech future-powered laser does that bada bing bada boom done mm-hmm. it's the whole point of trying to mimic ESA's thing because they have a thing called a technology readiness level so any technology you fly in space have to be basically space proven have to work on earth so you can't just propose a mission to ESA and say eh, yeah yeah you know that you know that sort of laser that hasn't been invented yet just invent one of those and your your problem is solved you know yeah it's, yeah it's the time so we had to kind of mimic that so there's a budgetary constraint there's a safety constraint there's a technology readiness level constraint so we couldn't just make shit up we had to um take read the research existing technologies that are close to or are flight ready and somehow incorporate them all into um a mission uh, so onto a spacecraft um and demonstrate how it would be done so write a bunch of mathematical stuff that tell us how it's done how we're going to do it and then essentially prove that we're not going to drop the thing and it's going to come near us like okay. <laughs> um so and then write it in such a form that it was uh that it was a, a, an ESA proposal that it could be a potential ESA mission um so like you know you could almost hand deliver it to ESA and say here there's your template. Start building, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it well enough that uh, we got selected to present this, um, at an international conference. Um, and uh, yeah, and because you presented an international conference, you get published in its proceedings.
0: Jesus, fair play. Yeah. yeah can so
1: that. the what we did, if you want the details of how our solution was essentially, um, dream up this kind of. Um, inflatable uh almost like a net thing so it's inflatable with neon which is a new uh a new uh yeah, a halogen or something it's essentially a neutral gas doesn't in, won't interact with anything on the uh, potentially on the asteroid um and it was uh, operated almost like a, a inflatable pulley system so the more you inflate the the more the the net essentially grows because it's inflated with neon and it just basically comes out from the spacecraft spacecraft, and around. And then once it's reached a certain point, you had an automated system that would essentially pull the cinch shut, therefore capturing it. Um, okay. And then you, you inflate the inside of the net to a certain pressure so that you don't have any differential when you're burning. So if you want to accelerate and this thing is inside, you know, if you have the rock here, like that, and you want to burn. You don't want to end up going like that by accident. Okay. The, the, the two colliding, so you essentially pressurize it, which the pressure acts like a almost like a hand. So now mm. the rock moves when you move.
0: Okay, so you're able to carry a rock.
1: Yeah, essentially. Well, in theory, in theory, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. How like how big of a rock are we talking? or is is this? you
1: know like oh jakers yeah we had we had classifications for size all right i can't remember now i think it was like mm 2 kilometers in diameter that, oh, that, fucking that hell. i that's i nice. i could be i could be picking something out of my ass like i don't know like you know oh that's fine if you're picking out of your
0: ass we may as well go fucking 10 kilometers <laughs> we go like, bigger uh, and better but um so no jeez that's a, fucking mad
1: like i had to pick a specific asteroid from the database that was in near earth orbit um and we picked one that we thought was realistic. I can't remember its its exact dimensions. It's been a while, but uh yeah, I don't know, something like that.
0: Jeez, that's fucking mad. I I'm here like I'm actually talking to you and I'm feeling so um I feel so stupid. <laughs> I, <I'm> so <laughs> st- stupid with what, with what I'm doing. I'm like, how can I not get my head around fucking differentiation or something like that? Um Ah uh, Jacobs,
1: Jake, Jake, don't don't oh, be
0: so um so I'm actually nicer to myself than I ever was now with this, you know, I'm starting to get the, the economics a bit easier than I ever got anything else. But it's purely because I'm actually doing a bit of work now, which is something that I've never done before. Right? <laughs> um, but anyway, so you went from from this RAF master or this RAF base, I'm yeah. just going to term it, you went to Airbus, am I right?
1: That's it, yeah. Straight after the masters, I was lucky enough to get a job with Airbus um, in their space. Uh, no, 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 uh, no. I still had to apply, apply on the website. <laughs> Send us your cover letter and CV there, that.
0: Oh, God, copy and paste <laughs> from the hundreds of other places, yeah.
1: That's it, yeah, yeah. Um, had a phone interview and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting phone interview there. Like, you know, I didn't expect them to be so technical on their phone interview, you know, mm. I always my experience of interviews up to that point had been kind of, you know, see, do you fit? You know, we're, we're going to assume you have the knowledge and if you don't, we can teach you. It's all about, do you fit? And I okay. just assumed similar, similar crack with Airbus, but no, 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 no. They, they want you, they want you to demonstrate, you know what you're doing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I was I after that interview, going, not a chance if I got the job, no chance. I just, I'd say, I don't know to so many questions. Like, um and lucky enough they were like yeah no we liked you and uh, we'd like to take you on um on a, on a six-month contract sort of thing um yeah so, so they,
0: is this kind of air Is are they like they're they're an airplane company aren't they like more or less
1: oh uh, they yeah but they, they do so much more don't they yeah they started as an airplane now they're in helicopters um and they have an ever-growing fairly big space space sector as well so it's kind of anything anything that can fly off the ground they they want they want to know like you know
0: and so this is where you came involved or got involved with juice mission when i mentioned this to one of the lads at work he's actually studying some sort of physics now he'll probably listen to this now and say he got his old second plug but anyway (laughs) um he got he got very excited because he's actually heard a lot about it now for someone like me you're gonna have to explain it to us okay
1: so juice is an acronym because uh one thing you'll notice as well in in space if you're ever researching it we love acronyms we will make shit up and name our um missions in a very specific way so that you can make a nice acronym acronym um for example (laughs) the one that we we published is called artemis and it's literally asteroid technology readiness mission. Like it's uh yeah. it's uh, it's just we love acronyms. So juice is that it's ac- digestible
0: though. It's yeah. a lot more digestible.
1: Yeah. yeah, 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 to be fair, then the technology that goes in, you know, you don't want to be naming missions B three hundred four seven Z sound like American football called.
0: <laughs> yeah, or Elon Musk's kid. <laughs> yeah. That's-
1: Blasphemy, anyway. blasphemy yeah. How dare you speak bad of me?
0: How dare you speak of the the Lord or God in in vain?
1: <laughs> <It's> Saviour reborn. <laughs>
0: Repent, uh, you fucker.
1: Um. Yeah. So, JU stands for Jupiter and its icy moons. Or if you're if you want, it can be Jupiter, Io, Callisto, and Europa. Um. So the icy moons are Io, Callisto, Callisto and uh, Europa. Very unique. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Greeks found it, so they get to name it.
0: You see, I actually only know that because I've listened to Stephen Fry's Mythos (laughs) on Audible, and these are all little names that I recognize, so I don't feel so stupid now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they found it, so they got first dibs. Um, So, yeah, so there are three icy moons um, uh, orbiting around Jupiter, which is essentially a failed sun um jupiter is uh, is really unique in in the sense that we it, it makes our solar system really unique because um we essentially have well a sun and a failed sun we essentially had two suns at some point um and what usually happens jupiter is like the densest thing ever like it it essentially acts as our guardian it's so massive and it's such a gra- gravity pull like the reason why we're not getting peppered all the time with stuff flying in from outside is because Jupiter is essentially our big guardian. He's so massive that he just pulls them all into his orbit. And then he has 79 moons. So if if, if any of them are thinking of escaping, the moons trap them, you know, they all have their own gravitational pull as well. So um, our our solar system is actually unique in that sense that our rocky planets are on the inside closer to the sun and our gas giants are on the outside away from the sun. Usually it's the other way around. It's the big okay. gas giants are close and the rocky planets are on the outside. Um, so it's a fascinating, fascinating, like Jupiter has pulled in stuff Uh, from, say, before the Earth was born. Jupiter was there first, you know, so some yeah. of the stuff that Jupiter has is like older than our solar system, you know, so it's like you're talking building blocks of life, building blocks of the solar system, yeah. you know, um. And what's so interesting about its icy moons is they are all covered in a layer of some form of solid gas, like icy gas. But mm-hmm. underneath that icy gas is a liquid form of that gas, which we can't get. So, for example, Europa has liquid seas of methane. Which, oh
0: yes, I've actually heard of this before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, so you have like liquid seas of methane that are like you know that are you know could be holding. It's ca- It's a carbon-based um liquid like so it could be holding you know carbon is the building block of life could be holding life underneath the ice sheets of methane that it has, you know. Mm-hmm. And that stuff doesn't occur naturally on our planet. I don't think you can get liquid methane. I think it's only gaseous at, at our temperatures, you know? Yeah. Um so I'm not sure what covers Io and Callisto, but I know Europa is the main big, big moon of concern, not concern, I- intrigue, shall we say? Um so yeah, so essentially the mission is going to go out uh, to make a big, long, long ass journey to Jupiter um, and then essentially revolve our orbit around Jupiter and then make journeys to each of the m- moons mentioned. One thing I should say, actually, Jupiter, I forgot to mention this, one of the big reasons of interest for this mission is Jupiter's system is essentially like another solar system with Jupiter being the sun. So it's like okay. a chance, it's literally like a An experiment in our back garden we get to we get the chance to like dip into our back garden there and have a bop around the jupiter system and basically see what the building blocks for life looked like ages ago and it's Mm -hmm. just right right close to us you know okay we get to see how a solar system was formed how this is
0: the graveyard like
1: not really no no so because jupiter has pulled in stuff from Eons ago, like I think Jupiter was there first before the sun, and because yeah. Jupiter pu- pulling stuff from eons ago, um, it's essentially like being able to go to a museum, you know, and being able to see how we were made, how our solar system was made. Yeah, gotcha. Because Jupiter essentially acts like a small solar system inside our solar system. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. You know? Okay.
1: So yeah. um, that's the big interest with that mission. So what I got to work on was. It's a long ass journey. It's a, it's a six year journey, I think, to Jupiter from Earth. Um, and that's including a bunch of gravitational slingshots. Um, and essentially, when you're in space, there's no way of telling which way is up. Because, you know, it's not that there's no gravity. There's, you know, there's orbit, there's free fall. You know, mm-hmm. we tell we tell instinctively, we tell what's up and down from gravity. Gravity pulls us down, the opposite of that is up and then left and right are essentially arbitrary, you know? Yeah. Um, in space, there's no way to tell which way is up. There's towards the sun and away from the sun. That's about it. Okay. Everything else is just bananas. So you need um, to make sure that your spacecraft doesn't just basic, because it's all automated, you don't have anybody on board, it's a computer telling the spacecraft what to do, to make sure it doesn't get confused and start basically spinning out. Because once once you start to spin, on a spacecraft and if you can't get control of that again, your stuff will just break. It will Mm just fly off the edge of it. Um, You need like essentially a computer program to say, okay, stay between this angle and this angle with respect to the sun or with respect to some other reference point. And I got to essentially work on that when I was at, at Airbus. So on the long journey, the real long journey like in dead space where there the only reference point is your sun you don't have any other planet nearby you nothing pulling on you really except the sun that's when you need that program to be like right i don't know which way is up so just stay within certain parameters so that i don't flip and flip out essentially um and i, I that's what i worked on
0: and how how is it how is it telling with respect to the sun like is there some somewhere... way
1: So usually you'll have like some sort some form of sun sensor, uh, or you'll have some form of um, star tracker on board, and they will have they will have like fixed points, um in the sky based on your journey. So like you'll pick a star or something, and you'll say right if I'm traveling this trajectory, this star should be two inches to the left than it was yesterday. Okay. Yeah, and so then you know that if if uh you're if you're starting to rotate and tumble it won't appear two inches to the left. It'll appear, you know, that's a fixed point. So it'll appear like, you know, X inches to the left or to the right. And then you're like, okay, so taken from that point, which is what I should be seeing, it's now, you know, three inches to the right and two inches up. Um, and so then you can start making graphs and stuff and say, right, that mm-hmm. means i turned through an angle of however many degrees. So now I need to burn in the opposite direction of that many degrees.
0: Okay, so it corrects for itself by blasting yeah. a bit of the engine in some yeah. direction, yeah. okay,
1: and then you have like you've gyroscopes on board to tell you if you're rolling, so you know you might have just you might have just slowly rotated and slipped off and you're not moving too quick, which is fine um, but what you you know that measurement taking at that instantaneous point won't tell you if you're away from where you should be because you're rolling or because you slipped and rolling is the dangerous one so they'll have something on board like a gyroscope that will that will tell you okay your roll rate is this so if you're rolling particularly fast a, a simple burn to correct your your angles um won't do because you're rolling so like that that burn by the time you initiate that burn after taking that measurement you'll have moved on further again so by the time your burn is finished you won't be you won't be where you think you should be you know mm-hmm yeah. so yeah so you have to correct for role and position changes like
0: she's very good very good so you were you were six months at that and was that kind of the only thing well was that like your biggest thing that you were involved in there
1: that was the biggest thing because we had um we had a deadline so we were working on it for ESA. it's an ESA launch and they farmed out uh, the work to Airbus or Airbus bid on the work and they got, they were successful. Um, so we had a, like a deadline where we had to deliver this program and prove that it was working um, to, to to Airbus um, at the end of the six months. Um, we were doing okay um, and we got, Airbus actually took on quite a few grads at that time. So we were all kind of, by the time the new grads joined, we we had enough hands that I was able to move off and work on a couple of proposals for um satellite constellations around the earth um okay. which would be more my bag anyway because it's more in the field of astrodynamics whereas the other thing was a bit more control engineering and you know feedback systems and things like that mm-hmm. you know
0: um and so you 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 ended you didn't stay there anyway after the six months so where did you go after that?
1: So after that um that's when I started working with uh wood in Galway. Um got an offer, or no, um, an email came through the alumni network in UL. So we're lucky enough to have an aeronautical engineering alumni network. An email came through and they were like, uh, we're looking for for kind of graduates or people who've recently graduated. And at the time I was in England and I couldn't, the space industry is slow for hiring. Uh, you You have companies who post a job saying they need somebody urgently and the interview round won't take place till three months later, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, without a job in England, and I was renting at the same time, uh, I couldn't afford really to take that chance. Um, I thought Airbus would, I, I took a gamble, I thought Airbus would keep me on after the six months, because generally they do, but they decided not to. Um, mm. And so I kind of got caught with my hands down my pants. And uh, so I just started applying to, to any job and any job, that would interview me, and this crowd in Galway uh, took me up on the offer, they interviewed me. Um, so they're, they're, they're an offshore oil and gas consulting uh, engineering group, um, and I just, I, you know, I hadn't planned to move away from space, but I really liked um, the vibe I got off them when I was when I was interviewing them, or with them and uh I, they let me meet some of my potential would-be co-workers and i got, really liked the vibe i got off them so uh and then they made me a, a you know a fairly decent offer and mm-hmm. i said you know galway is a pretty nice place to live so i said yeah go on
0: yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's it london anyway <laughs> yeah yeah and was it here you were involved with the the mask um That's the one. yeah the the yeah. world record
1: drill depth yeah, so um, just. Do launched. you want to
0: go into that? a yeah.
1: Yeah, that's grand. So what I do, I work there now. I'm still working at Wood at the moment. So essentially, what I do uh, to break it down is, um, guys will be wanting to drill offshore, you know, on those big oil rigs that um mm-hmm. that you see. Like Harry Stamper was on an Amg. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, they'll want to drill somewhere, you know, miles off the coast, anywhere, and they'll tell us. The kind of currents that they're experiencing the kind of wind they're experiencing and the kind of waves they're experiencing and they'll say uh okay can you do some en- engineering analysis this is the water depth um basically don't can we can you tell us how we don't break our shit and spill oil everywhere Mm-hmm. Um, so you heard it here, folks. If there's an oil spillage, it's probably my fault.
0: <laughs> oh my God, there'll be people fucking protesting outside Top Twenty Six all this week now, and you hear on about oil spills, they lose the rag. <laughs> anyway, but right. um, so so.
1: Delay the release, David. Delay the release a week or
0: two. Yeah, no, no hassle. I'll just put it in two parts, and it'll, the last fucking, the second half will be released in a month's time. <laughs>
1: So um, yeah, so they essentially we do the analysis, we tell them how not to break their shit and spill oil everywhere. Um, and that's just how the work rolls, kind of different scopes. Some people want to check um, what happens to the big long steel pipe that they drop down if if it goes if it goes through thousands of cycles of going up and down with rough waves because mm-hmm. um, so imagine <clears throat> imagine you're trying to break a new twig, a freshly grown twig off a branch. You know, as opposed to an old one, you can't just snap it. You have to wear it up and down, up and down, up and down mm-hmm. until it eventually just wears out. But that essentially happens to steel as well. If you just go up and down the whole time, it's fatigue. It just it gets sick of contracting and expanding, contracting and expanding and something cracks. And mm-hmm. um, so sometimes they're looking to see how long they can go before something cracks. Other times they want to assess an emergency sit- situation where they lose power in their ship and they're still connected to the well. And they want to just see how long they can bend it until something busts. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that—it just changes day to day. Um, so for the for the for the world record, that, um, Mersk came along. I don't know if I should be saying their name, but sure. Look, uh, no, they published it, so it's okay. Um, it's <laughs> it's out there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mersk came along and uh, off the coast of Angola. They decided, okay. uh, now, when I say off the coast of Angola, you can't see Angola from where they're drilling. You yeah, know, of it's, course, it's just,
0: like you couldn't wave at someone on the coastline yeah, exactly. and say, yeah. Yeah, if you do. Yeah,
1: yeah. Off the coast, if I say off the coast of any country, you can't see the country. A couple of hundred
0: miles probably or yeah, something, exactly.
1: it? yeah. it's, just, uh, it's just their proprietary waters, you know. Yeah. Um. So off the coast of Angola, they found a bunch of oil way, way down deep, 12,000 feet deep, Um. which is what? What's that? It's like four thousand meters or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um and uh yeah, they came to us, we put the bid on it, and they said this is this is the deepest wheel I've ever drilled. So we have we want to do every check, you know, we want to dot the i's cross the t's. It was actually when the pandemic started, I was working I was working from home and I was doing the work on the on the PC. You know, I was checking, you know, their pipelines, I was checking the pressure in their pipelines. Uh, the pipeline themselves have four auxiliary lines which essentially provide pressure so that you can suck up the the oil and i was i was even checking them now normally we don't even check them because they're so small in diameter that the chances of them breaking is not you know we don't care you know if they Mm -hmm. and they're not they're not mission critical one of them breaks one of them breaks who cares you know um Mm -hmm. but because it was such a deep depth you know i was checking the loads on those i was checking on the pipelines I was checking what happens if a freak wave comes along. I was checking what happens if you, you know, suddenly for some weird reason, lose your engine and lose the backup generator and you just start drifting at the mercy of the ocean. How long can you go before you have the disconnect from the well? Um, oh, is, the battery is that better?
0: Yeah, I can hear you there again. Uh, um, what was I going to say there? Um, so. You, you're um, oh yes, are you, are you the the type of lad now that's to blame for the 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 oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico a couple of years back? Uh,
1: I, just, uh, I wasn't working, I wasn't working in the oil industry then. So, <laughs> but is it is it
0: the boys that be doing your job like we're kind of to blame for that? Because that that was um that was a drilling issue, like wasn't it? It was a pipe cracked or something like that, yeah, and they had to fill so, it with concrete and a wooden fucking yeah so kind oh, of do you know much about it you might know anything about it's
1: it's a, it it's, it's, a, it's a team failure generally. Um, so with the oil industry it's really highly regulated. so um, if something fails, you're kind of you can't really put the finger on one person as much as they'll try to. You can't because everything needs to be backed up. So if a mistake gets sent through the systems, well then it's equally the person who's checking its fault as the person who made the mistake you know mm-hmm. um something like that i actually think it was manufacture uh, okay. or actually no cuz bp took the blame for it uh, it's 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 bp so they left it down so you know metal that they put down there and 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 components that they put down there are rated for a certain amount of fatigue cycles or a certain amount of time in use or a certain operating condition and if you break any one of those essentially you that's your fault you know Mm -hmm. um and i think i think um beep i think what happened there was beat there was a failure bp didn't monitor its um its systems accurately enough because they were the ones who had to pay so if they're the ones that had to pay it was them them at fault like so it was it was like a company policy thing slash the guys on the rig but they're only they're only kind of you know behaving because they have pressure from the company you know yeah. it was a kind of fuck up at multiple levels like you know
0: yeah it always is it's never it's never just one thing i play either. really most of the time again i can't tell um, you
1: a story i heard though um hey, in 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 the flemish pass in canada where there was one fella who was solely solely to blame
0: well, oh. if 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 you want to dish the dirt,
1: I'll, I'm all ears. So, um, reason why I can tell you is because uh, we our reason why I think it's interesting is because uh, they tried to point the finger at our company, and I was working there at the time because we did the analysis for it. Um, so these these big steel risers they're called that that drill the hole. They're essentially big long cylinders of of steel. You know that are mm-hmm. you know they could be, you know, three thousand feet long. You know. Um, and they're connected to the boat, and uh, the boys on the rig, I won't say the company name because that might actually get me in trouble, but uh, <laughs> the boys on the rig, they were, we had done the analysis for them, and we'd sent the report over to them, and they came across some stormy conditions. And if the wave, we'd said to them, if the waves get above a certain height, you have to disconnect your steel column from the well, otherwise you're in a world of hurt. Um. And essentially, the guys on the rig decided that they knew better. And one of the guys goes, no, 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 I've seen these situations before. What you want to do is wind up the tensioners. Essentially, the the steel columns are held in place by a a pulley system, right? Mm -hmm. And you can wind them up and wind them down to give them slack or make them taut as you wish, right? And he goes, right, big freak wave is coming. Wind up the tensioners as taut as possible. Um... And the first freak wave hits, and the big steel column jumps out of its housing, right? And then miraculously, like one in a million odds, settles perfectly back in. So, of course, they think, right, I've done the right thing here. I'm, yeah, I'm, we've
0: gotten away with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm Gucci. They didn't, I don't think they even saw it jump out. They were just like, oh, nothing happened, so we're Gucci, you know? Yeah, yeah. The second freak wave hits, and the thing jumps out big long steel column you're talking like millions of tons like you know and it settles on half the ring that it should be settling on so all of the weight is on half the load bearing structure so of course the the ring snaps the big long steel column goes to the bottom of the ocean floor and uh the boys are like oh dear so they tried to point the finger blame at us one my boss had to fly out to canada to see what they did <clears throat> he goes did you wind up those tensioners and guy goes yeah yeah sure i've done it loads of times before so you must have given us wrong information he goes lad that's the opposite of what we told you to do you're supposed to let them go so now there's miraculously miraculously the steel column didn't hit the well but there's 150 million dollars of steel just laying on the floor with no way of picking it up oh my god yeah and how much
0: set. is an accident like that? Like you know, how much does that set a company back? Like
1: reputation-wise, a lot. Because yeah. you're talking, you're talking pollution. Like there's, li- there is literally no way of getting that column of steel off the seafloor. There's no way. It's too heavy. And it's just too, too heavy. Much, like and, there, and there's too much of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you think of a, re- imagine trying to lift a really heavy rope. You know. It's yeah, like, oh, uh, it's just yeah. a rope. But if the rope is heavy enough and long enough, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You just, it because it dangles down, you're like, oh, come on, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and essentially, that's what's happened. Um, so so not only is there $150 million just sitting at the seafloor, which is annoying for the company, there's now no way for them to drill that well, mm-hmm. safely. And then, of course, you have the reputation, reputation hits. So you, you could be talking like, you could be talking $200 million, or 200 million barrels of oil just left there because they can't drill it like Jesus like if you look at Barry off after off the coast of west cork they're talking 300 million barrels of oil underneath there like you know mm-hmm. so if you know if you're talking deep water it could be even more you know 500 million barrels like you know
0: yeah yeah okay right, right. i suppose um what we'll do is i'm gonna ask you one more question now and um i suppose we'll call it quits then i think we're nearly in at an hour an hour and a half
1: i'd say we're like. going they're going all right? not if we knocked a bit out of it all right um, i I'm, i'd say i'm putting a few people few of your listeners to sleep at this point <laughs>
0: <laughs> no you're all right as long as you keep me as long as you keep me awake i don't want to. um so um i suppose you kind of have the space race 2.0 going on at the moment, do you? Yeah. Um. Do you find yourself kind of wanting to get yourself back in there? And oh. is the likes of, you know, one of these companies, i.e. SpaceX, you know, people of Origins, NASA, Virgin Galactic, I know Virgin Galactic are probably their only kind of like airplaning around space. Like I don't think they're trying to get to Mars, like but are these the meccas for you now? Like is this yeah is this where you're kind of
1: fact, fact. Um space suffered big time when uh America kind of got sick of it in the late 60s, you know, it came on in that decade, it came on from barely being able to get a fella around the earth to walking on the moon for the crack, you know, you'd Apollo mm-hmm. 15, you know, um, so we went from, you know, we went from being really heavily invested in it to, and when that was over, it was, you know, we suffered, you know, we we kind of just stuck to our we stayed in our lane, shall we say. You know, we, mm. we just stuck to orbits around Earth and um, space in the public domain was seen as this really expensive um, adventure, you know, that people can't really see the benefits of of, of going to space. Now, I think, I think they are now, but they couldn't then, you know, stuff like satellites giving you, you know, the initial space race, Ex- exploded technology for us it made computers mm-hmm. cheaper it made phones cheaper it gave us the possibility of what we have now smartphones you know it um you know space exploration and space um development hugely benefits our earth and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't seen that way for a long time and it, it, it is absolutely worth the money and yeah so to answer your question the space race 2.0 is is actually better than the first one and i'll tell you why is because it's done by instead of being done by government agencies where sometimes what what they're doing can be behind closed doors and shady you know it sometimes the, the advancements aren't released for ages also stuff that governments tend to do tend to be more expensive than if they were done by a private operator whereas space race and also then you all you have your you know, you're politicking, you know, the the Americans are wanting to beat the Russians. The Russians are wanting mm-hmm. to beat the Americans. Nobody really cared about the good of the people. They cared about, you know, their own interests. Yeah. Whereas having two billionaires go at it head to head, they're going to do their best to do it cheaper. Because at the end of the day, they want to make a profit, you know. It's a results business. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. They want to make a profit. Elon Musk isn't going to be CEO of SpaceX if he loses two billion, but he gets to Mars first. They won't give a shit like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. so they're going to make it profitable. And then what's more is, um, the people are going to be able to see what they did and copy it. So that profit will, or that, 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 that cheapness of going to space will, will remain, shall we say, you know, Mm -hmm. it it now won't cost you a hundred million dollars to launch to, to orbit now with with spacex it might cost you 50 and if that keeps going down fantastic bit of trickle down economics going there a little bit yeah then well you're seeing it in the industry right now you have a bunch of small um startup space companies like who 10 years ago saying you were a startup in the space industry was just greek like you know much mm-hmm. being you're a startup you have no money but you want to dabble in space what do you want about like you know
0: but it, it's 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 really like you know it's it's in vogue it's it's you know it's the, it's really there now like it's in the mainstream even i can guarantee you know like you know there's kids probably in school saying you know like elon musk is the man that they want to work for you know and things like yeah. that whereas a couple of years ago that wouldn't have been the case yeah. it would have yeah. been mark zuckerberg or someone like that you know
1: yeah. So this this space race 2.0, and especially because their their horizons are so much further, they want to go to Mars. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking. You know, people talk about wanting to um, get off the planet, and well, we need to be a spacefaring civilization if we want to survive. Well, you're not going to do that relying on government agencies and government bureaucracy. You're mm-hmm. going to do it by guys who want to just get it done and get it done the best, most efficient way possible. Yeah. And it's, Having two private entrepreneurs go head to head trying to beat each other, and to give you an example of how that's kind of flown down to us, Ireland, Ireland are about to launch their first ever satellite, Airsat One. Um, UCD, a, a group in UCD, are about to launch their their first the first ever satellite to be launched from Ireland.
0: Brilliant, Jesus, that's good you
1: know I news. Mean? So uh, this this space race 2.0 is going to be bigger, better, and better for the world. Than the first one could have ever dreamed of being.
0: Mhm. Yeah. yeah hell. I think that's a good place to leave it, Harvey. <laughs> are, are you Are you going to go back into it? Are you going to try and get your nose back into it? Yeah. Way?
1: Yeah. I am. I am. Now, If my employer is listening, I love my job.
0: <laughs> a bit of
1: a disclaimer. <laughs> I, he didn't mean a word he says. Please, please don't fire me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um. No. Yeah. The the eventual goal uh, like I had so much fun talking about space with you, um, on, on, on this podcast. I just think it's, I'm too passionate about it to not find myself back there. Uh, I just love thinking about orbits and, you know, trajectory planning and how do we do this? Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think I've got to find a way to get back in there. I don't know how yet, but I got to find a way, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's definitely, um, it's very it's it's very interesting to talk to someone that's actually passionate about a subject because you have people that are interested in things and you know you can tell by the way someone's talking about it and I just you know when you were on about it earlier you were you were saying like i was <laughs> you said something i was i was um I loved what was it I loved thinking about the mechanisms of space or something like that. And I was like, OK, there's a guy that actually really like, you know, you're you're probably 18, 19 years super old, nerd. Thinking super nerd. But like, I think I think nerd nerdiness is actually kind of a bit cool these days. Like, so it's OK. Wasn't matter. then <laughs> yeah. maybe not back in your day, Harvey, or when you were in school, but it's, I think it's a bit cooler now, um, I yeah. think. Again, because of these guys, I think they're gone pretty mainstream, like the likes of Brian Cox and all these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And um, sure, like Elon Musk is man, he's such a troll. But sure, like, that man is fucking kids like. He,
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's absolutely controlling the cryptocurrency game. So there's, there's the crypto nerds are into him. You know, like so there's. And he's also running, like, the biggest, one of, probably the biggest car manufacturer in the world now. Like, oh, you yeah. Know, or, you know, yeah. so he's his, and he's probably going to turn us all into cyborgs eventually. So, look, uh, the well, New Orleans.
1: can only hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's it, yeah. We might get an extra couple of years out of it. We might live to see Space Race 3.0 getting the fucking Jupiter or, or collecting Brad Pitt from that. <laughs> collecting <from F2> collect him. him from <laughs> the back-ass orbit of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Harvey. um thanks a million for fecking getting on to me man No um, worries, man, and thanks i for actually me. really enjoyed that now um no and thanks for giving me your time i said this a couple of weeks back again i just think people offering their time is very good like you're not getting it you're not gaining anything by this um i think it's myself and whoever has uh, the patience to listen to me interacting with people
1: yeah
0: um, gain out of it as well but um thank you very much sir
1: no worries and i know. just uh yeah i mean i uh, it's, I suppose selfishly again a little bit but I suppose if there's anybody uh listening uh especially if there's a, a kid trying to figure out his future you know and he's, he's from West Cork um and he's, he's a bit like me and a bit lost in in um in how he's gonna go about achieving his dreams you know I just figured it'd be nice to come on and uh I don't know spout some ideas about how, how you can go about it you know mm. just because you're I, I, I remember growing up I felt like because I was from West Cork and because we didn't have ex- access to stuff that city folk have access to you know that you know running water yeah <laughs> <laughs> electricity <laughs> that, um, that, uh, that you know that, that me dreaming of being a, a spaceman or as involved in the space industry it was just it was silliness like it often felt like silliness and I suppose anything I can do to trying to alleviate that for anybody growing up after me and um trying to trying to follow a similar path like do you know if they if, if this message even even reaches one of them do you know that's a that's that's a bonus for me like you know
0: yeah and i think that's a fair point as well i think um everything's difficult until someone does it first you know yeah yeah um, that's that's always the case but yeah hopefully now someone and hopefully someone might um might figure out a way to. To go about things the same way you did anyway you know because yeah. again like that the whole space thing obviously it's not that accessible from ireland but you you kind of made it work and you did it yeah so again thank you very much sir
1: cool beans thanks for having me
0: all right thank you everybody bye-bye